Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We are celebrating the Feast of the Assumption, or as we call in the Byzantine Church, the Dormition of the Mother of God. This is a this is a huge feast day. It's huge in its impact, in its lessons for us. And always remember that when we celebrate a holy day, we enter into the mystery of what that is about, as though it is happening now, today. The Assumption, or the Feast of the Dormish, the Mother of God, is something that was codified on November 1st of 1950 by Pope Pius XI, when he solemnly proclaimed the centuries-long belief that the Immaculate Mother of God, the Ever-Virgin Mary, having completed the course of her earthly life, was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory. Now, this solemn proclamation of the dogma of Mary's assumption into heaven fittingly describes this crowning event in the life of the Most Holy Mother of God, whose liturgical veneration actually originated in the East. That's right. See, sometimes you hear, especially from our Orthodox brethren, that they or the Eastern churches don't believe in exactly the same thing as the Roman Catholic Church, but I'd like to modify that a bit. What happens usually between the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church, and remember, I am an Eastern Catholic, not Eastern Orthodox, but we have a very, very similar liturgical and spiritual heritage because we were one at one time. After the Great Schism in 1054, there was the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. Parts of the Orthodox churches reunited with Rome over the last several centuries, and that's, of course, what I am. So I'm an Eastern Catholic. But sometimes you hear from Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Christians, that they don't believe exactly as the Roman Catholic Church does on certain things, such as the Feast, the Assumption, the Immaculate Conception. As I mentioned, I want to modify that a bit to putting it this way that it's not so much a difference in belief. It really is not. Now, when it comes to the basic dogma, for example, this feast day of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary or 
her dormition, as these calls it, we come to the same point. The main point is that in the end, the Virgin Mary goes to heaven, body and soul intact. And both East and West agree on that. That's the convergence point. Now, how they arrive at that, how they look at that is where there's some difference. But it's not a difference in basic belief. It's a difference in how you understand it, how you approach it. And what happens is whenever the Western church, such as in the case of the Pope, who in 1950 officially called this a dogma of the church, the Virgin Mary's assumption, whenever that happens, what the Pope does and what the Western church does is it actually looks to the East for the formulation of its doctrine and its teachings and so on. Because in the East, let's face it, that's where it started. That's where the most ancient expressions and most ancient texts are to be found, is in the place of origin. Where did our faith start? In Jerusalem, in the Holy Lands, right? So the churches that develop there are the ones that are going to be the most ancient very soon after Christ came, of course, the development of the church in the West, especially in Rome, as we know, St. Paul went to Rome. So the Western church developed very early on as well, but the most ancient, the origin of everything is in the East. So the Pope will look at the text, the prayers, the traditions of the East as a way of informing the West when it wants to make some kind of theological, spiritual proclamation. So the Pope looked at the liturgical text of the Eastern churches on this feast day, and therefore we do have this commonality. That's how it works between East and West. So it's not exactly right to say the East does not believe the same thing as the West. It's more correct to say that the East and West have different approaches to it, different nuances, different expressions, but they arrive at the same point. In the East, the belief is that the Virgin Mary did die, but not in the same way that we die. And the story is, the tradition is, that the apostles were transported, because they're already at that point, they were going to different parts of the world to preach the gospel. I mean, St. Thomas went all the way to India. Can you imagine that? Some of these apostles went very far at that time. They didn't have airplanes and so on. It's amazing. So they went in every direction already to preach the gospel of Christ. The apostles who knew Christ, though it's just a few years after Christ ascended into heaven. Well, the story goes that angels transported these 12 apostles to the Virgin Mary, and they did her funeral, and they carried her body in a bier and laid it in a tomb. But Thomas, as usual, was not there, just as he wasn't there at the first appearance of Jesus Christ in the upper room after his resurrection. Thomas was not there, so when he wanted to go and see and venerate the body of the Virgin Mary that the apostles had laid in the tomb, the apostles came with him to show him where it was. They went to the tomb, and that's when they found that the Virgin Mary had assumed into heaven body and soul. She was gone, just like Jesus in the resurrection. Although it was left were certain garments, and those garments emitted this great, wonderful fragrance of flowers. That's all that was there. So the apostles knew that just like her son, Jesus Christ, she had gone to heaven, body resurrected, body and soul together. This is the way that Eve and Adam would have entered into the next life, and also how you and I would have, or any other human person born on earth who followed God's ways, 
would have gone to heaven, body and soul intact. We were never meant to die in the way that we know death on this earth where the body and soul separate. We await then the resurrection of our bodies, as the scriptures tell us, and St. Paul talks about, our bodies will be resurrected, reunite with our souls, and be spiritualized. In other words, glorious, wonderful, the way God intended it from the beginning. But there was an interruption of sin, which then made the body and soul separate at death. But the Virgin Mary, being the new Eve, was preserved from sin, so she remained intact in her life. In other words, she remained virginal, meaning not only physical virginity, but spiritual virginity. In other words, she remained integrated, intact. That's part of what we mean by her virginal state. The Virgin Mary is not just that she had no relations with any man, although she was married to Joseph, but that she was intact as a whole person so that none of her being would be in any way separated or fragmented from the other parts of her, especially at the point of death. Her body and soul would go into heaven together. That is the Eastern approach. Now, the Western approach just says that she assumed into heaven body and soul. It doesn't really say that she died in the way that the East says. But remember, don't be confused by the word that she died. She died, but not in the way that we understand death. So either way you look at it, from the Eastern or Western traditions, we arrive at the same point, and that point is what is essential. Body and soul together, assumed into heaven. And in fact, proud to say, in my own church, the Byzantine Ruthenian Church, we made a contribution to this establishment of this doctrine of the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. I'll read to you from a wonderful leaflet. We have a wonderful leaflet series that you can get from the Byzantine Seminary Press that gives a lot of information on the history and traditions of all the feast days of the church. On this feast day, in this leaflet for this feast day, it says this, through these liturgical compositions in the Eastern churches, in other words, my church, through these liturgical compositions, the general belief in the bodily assumption of Mary into heaven remained well-preserved and provided sufficient historical evidence for the proclamation of the dogma in 1950. The principal arguments from Byzantine tradition and liturgy in support of the dogma were collected by our Ruthenian theologian, Monsignor Nicholas Rosnak, and were submitted to the Holy See by Bishop Paul Goydich, who, by the way, was pronounced venerable because he was a martyr under communism. Concerning the petition of Bishop Goydich, the authors write, The importance of this petition is obvious since it comes from the Ruthenian hierarchy, well-versed in the Greek and Old Slavonic liturgical text, which, starting with the 9th century, are in constant use by both Catholics and Orthodox. And these texts clearly and absolutely contain the doctrine of the body assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Thus, we can conclude that the dogma of the assumption of Mary based on the deduction from Holy Scriptures, is a logical development of the centuries-long tradition deeply rooted in the liturgical prayers and minds of the people. So you see what I mean? As I say at the beginning, the West goes to the Eastern tradition. It's liturgical texts in particular. And our church, proud to say my church, gave some of these texts to the Pope when he was going to formulate this dogma. So the East and West both believe in the same thing, but they arrive at it from different perspectives. As is so often the case, I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, 
Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. To help support Tabor Life's ministry, go to taborlife.org and click on the Donate tab. Tabor Life is a 5013C charitable organization. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host, on the ending of a post-festive of a fantastic feast. I get all excited about these things. I hope you do too, because I, I live this. I live for this too, because it's so rich. It's so deep. And when you live, you ride the waves of the church. You enter into the mystery of these events. In this case, it's the assumption or the dormition of the mother of God into heaven. And why is this significant for us to ride these waves, to enter into this mystery? Well, first of all, it gives us insight into what God's original intention was for us as human beings. And I mentioned this earlier before the break. And what a beautiful thing that is. What a loving God. When I think about that, how God created us to be like himself, not equal to himself, but to be like himself, to be this intact human being made of spirit and matter, body and soul that would be integrated, intact, 
have a beautiful life on earth and enter into eternity by some kind of death or passage. This is why we call in the Eastern churches the Virgin Mary's Assumption a dormition, like a dormitory, you know, as in dormitory or in Italian, the dormire. In other words, sleep, to sleep. Dormant. Think of those words. It's like it was a gentle sleep just passing into. It wasn't like a finality. Oh, there, the body dies. That's it. Rots in the grave. No, it was a gentle passing intact. This was God's original plan for us. Imagine what a wonderful God. What an incredibly loving, beautiful, truthful, good God. But also, how wonderful, beautiful, and good we were made and intended to be by God. But then we also get a glimpse from this feast day into what our destiny will be, which should give us a great deal of hope. The Virgin Mary realizes on earth what we hope to have in the future at Christ's last judgment, at his second coming. All bodies will be raised up from the dead. The final judgment will happen. The good will have their bodies and souls reunited together, intact, spiritualized, holy, wonderful, beautiful, and enter into heavenly life with Christ forever. This is our destiny. And the Virgin Mary proves that. She anticipates that. She shows us how this is going to happen for us who will be saved, for those who will be saved. Hopefully it's us. (laughs) But this is the significance of this feast. And that should give us this wonderful, profound, moving sense of the love of God, of God's love for us, and of the dignity of the human person. And we had another taste of this just a few days ago with the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor, because there a similar thing happened. It wasn't a dying, but it was a glimpse. It was a revelation of our origin and our destiny as Christ shone brightly as he transfigured in front of the apostles on Mount Tabor gloriously and knocked them right off their feet, as it shows in the icons. He knocked them off their feet with the brilliance of his full humanity, the glory of the human person as God intended from the beginning, and will give us as a promise in the end for eternity. But also, at that moment, they saw a glimpse of Christ's divinity, and it was just, oh, oh, too much to take. And in the icons, it shows the apostles just being knocked on their faces. They're even covering their faces because it's so beautiful and brilliant, they couldn't take it. I mean, it wasn't unpleasant. It was just overwhelming. It was just, you know, sometimes something can be so great, you almost can't take it. You ever notice that? Like when you have a great experience, you're just exhilarated where they almost feel like you're jumping out of your own skin. Well, that's how they were, even more so. And they wanted to stay up there on that mount. So right during these days, these first two weeks in this month of August, we have two magnificent feast days, events in life of Christ and Mary, his mother, that through which we enter into the reality of our origins and our destiny, God's plan for us. During this Feast of the Dormition, it's a custom to bring flowers to church and herbs and have them blessed, just as during the Feast of the Transfiguration a few days ago, it's the custom, it is the custom to bring fruit to the church to be blessed. A couple of reasons for this is that it's the harvest time, and so we unite, as always, with our sacramental liturgical worldview, we unite the things of the earth, the things of our lives, especially things like food and flowers, 
We unite that with the liturgy of the church and with the feast day. Secondly, the fruit reminds us of transfiguration. You know, from a little seed comes this wonderful plant or tree that produces this succulent, life-giving fruit. Also, on the Feast of the Dormition, as I mentioned, the apostles came, and when they came to the tomb of the Virgin Mary, she had assumed it to heaven, body and soul, and all that remained was this beautiful, flowery fragrance in that tomb. And that's why we bring the flowers and have them blessed at church. And when we do that, and it's really, it's, it's a very real thing. When I bring that fruit to church, I get it blessed, and I eat of that fruit. It really is, I really have a sensation of this fruit being special. And also with the flowers. We put the flowers in our home. One custom is to actually dry them out, put it in some wax paper or something, and actually keep it in your Bible. And these are called sacramentals. In other words, they're touchstones that enter us into the mystery of these events. In this case, the event of Our Lady's Assumption to Heaven or Her Dormition. And those touchstones help to draw us into this experience, to make it real for us. It's very mindful. I walk through my kitchen and there's that beautiful bowl of fruit, blessed fruit that I can just pick from and be reminded of this beautiful feast of the transfiguration. Or there's these flowers. In our case, we'll bring flowers in from our prairie, natural indigenous flowers and grasses of the area of this region here where we are at Light of the East, the Midwest region, Illinois to be specific, to take those flowers in to be mindful of the way that God shed his goodness in this particular region of the world. In other words, he put these plants here, these plants that reveal beauty in their own way, unique to this part of the world. It's just incredible, and it makes you mindful of God, of God's goodness. It makes God present. See, this is the genius of our faith. It is very revelatory, sacramental. In other words, physical things make invisible realities visible, tangible. We literally can touch God. We can touch and enter into that event of the life of Christ, of the mother of God, through these sacramentals. And we need that because that's the kind of creature we are. We are kinesthetic. In other words, we work through five senses. We are psychosomatic. In other words, body and spirit. And God made us with five senses so that we can smell God, touch God, taste God, hear God. We can be completely immersed in God on a spiritual plane and a physical plane. That physical plane then becomes a sacramental or mystical plane. Here's a few prayers from actually this very day as we are concluding the Feast of the Dormition. And again, the prayers always reveal what we believe. This is why, as I said earlier, the Pope refers to the the liturgical text, the prayers and customs of the Eastern churches to develop a doctrine or dogma of the church for, for the church East and West. This is what we pray. O Theotokos, Christ your Son and our God, confirmed his two natures because he died as a man and rose as God. O Mother of God, he also consented that you die according to the law of nature so that unbelievers might not question the workings of providence. O Heavenly Bride, you were taken from earth as though from the bridal chamber and entered heaven. I'm going to stop there. Notice the two things that I mentioned earlier. The Eastern churches believe that the Virgin Mary died, but not in the way that we die. But she was taken up to heaven, and she's called the bride, taken up as though from a bridal chamber, which 
then tells you that the relationship between Christ and his mother also takes on, as it did at the cross, the relationship of a bride to a bridegroom. It's because Christ is a new Adam, she is the new Eve. The prayer continues. The atmosphere was sanctified by your passage through it, just as earth was illumined by your giving birth. The apostles assembled and the angels carried you aloft. After having buried your most pure body and having sung hymns, they gazed in awe and fearfully said, This is the ransom of the right hand of God, because he is within you and he will not be moved. O most honored mother, do not forsake us who look upon you. We are your people and the sheep of your fold. We invoke your name and ask for salvation and great mercy. Let's look at one more prayer from liturgical text. O Virgin, your Son has granted that you dwell in the Holy of Holies as a bright lamp, burning with the immaterial fire, as a golden censer burning with divine coal. You are the vessel containing man and the rod of Aaron and the tablet written by God, the holy ark and the table of the bread of life. Notice all the Old Testament references there, something that the Eastern churches love to do, that allegorical typology where we read back into the Bible. We read back into the Old Testament and we see in it now that we are in the New Testament times, we see in every reference in the Old Testament a prefigurement of Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. What a glorious and rich feast day. What a glorious and rich church that breathes with both lungs, east and west. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Catholic Radio is, it's training for the troops. It's a inter-aural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!